Before we get into this apocalyptic book in the Bible, Revelation, the very last book, and it is apocalyptic literature. Perhaps it's perfect timing for us because many people are saying it feels like apocalyptic times. Craziness. Last Sunday we were talking about the cascade of one tragedy and horrific scene after another. And even as we were talking about that here, there was a church in southern Texas. And people indiscriminately shot and killed in worship. So it feels apocalyptic, end times-ish. And the book of Revelation was a type of literature that was familiar to the first century readers, but not so much to us. So if you think of apocalyptic literature as being kind of Star Wars-esque, where there is this radical evil that is assaulting good people, and the question in all this wild drama is who will win? Who's in control of all this craziness and evil? There's a pastor writing. His name is John. He's writing to six churches, and he's writing a word of comfort. Even though apocalyptic literature can be extremely frightening because it's mirroring the violence that's going on all around, it's actually a word of hope to people living in frightening times and assurance that God is on the throne. At least that's what we heard as we have pulled the curtain back last week in Revelation 4 and 5. In the midst of all this cascading evil, there is this vision of God's Messiah on the throne. And as you keep looking, the Messiah turns into the Lamb. This is evocative for them that this is indeed Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified and has risen again. He's alive, and he's alive in us. So it's just a few chapters later now, Revelation 7, the curtain is pulled back again. You will see that the lamb is on the throne again, but by the time we get to the end, the lamb turns into a shepherd, a very comforting vision. And I want you to notice who is around that throne and how wholeheartedly they are drawn to him, to this shepherd. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. Listen to God's word to you. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white? Where have they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. 
They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So it ends with this tender, comforting picture of the shepherd, full of nurture and care and protection. But this passage begins in this way, describing a great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. Why have we picked this out this morning and made this so important in our worship service? This phrase actually is found six times in the book of Revelation, in six different chapters. This multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. And I believe that it tells us something really important about the shepherd who is on the throne and why everyone is so drawn to him. And for us here at Trinity, as we have named our spiritual goal, to know Jesus so intimately that we become like him. I think unpacking this helps us to move toward that goal because we're drawn to people who speak our language. We're drawn to people who are from our tribe. When I was in elementary school, our family moved from Maryland where we lived on my grandfather's farm where I'd grown up we moved all the way across the country to Central California. And I remember for months and for years, I would always notice license plates that were from Maryland. And I felt a kinship with whoever was in that car. There could have been lunatics in that car, but they were my people. They were my tribe because they were from Maryland. I was just drawn to them. There's identity there in our people and our tribe. Early September, when I was in the midst of taking um, the gift of the 12-week the sabbatical that this church gave to me, and uh, I noticed that I was drawn to people that were interested in the U.S. Open tennis tournament going on in New York City. And I was on a train from D.C. to Richmond to visit family, and I heard the people sitting in front of me. They had just come from the U.S. Open. They'd been watching some of this tennis tournament. I didn't care about anybody else on that train, but I was totally into them and talked with them as much as I could. Same thing when I was in Spain. There was a group of us on the Camino, and one couple that was in this group of nine loved tennis, and they were sitting in the back of the van, and I spent most of my time talking to them about who was in the final of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. Sports can be like that, right? You get me. You understand what I love. You are speaking my language. And I think we understand what it's like to be so frustrated when people don't speak your language. I was very aware of this when my sister and I were in Guatemala. We did not speak Spanish much. And so we were so grateful for the missionaries that spoke both languages and could help us. One missionary helped us get on a shuttle bus when we first flew in to go to, from Guatemala City over to Antigua. Just the two of us and the bus driver and we're going along, and pretty soon there is a car that just careens into us, hits the van, hit and run, drives away. We don't speak Spanish. The driver did not speak English. 
And so all of a sudden, this felt even more dire than ever. Eventually, he stops to assess the damage. His door won't close. He doesn't put his seatbelt on, but he gets back in and keeps driving over the mountain. We were thinking, we we're in deep trouble. That happened several times. And then when we went to one hotel where all the arrangements had been made, and somehow the person behind the desk did not speak English, we did not speak Spanish, but we knew enough to know that he was telling us, you don't have a room here. Ablangles, anybody Ablangles? There was safety in that. There was even an importance in terms of functioning day to day down there in Guatemala. We are drawn to people who speak our language, who get who we are. There's an identity in that, there's an understanding in that, there's even safety, the necessities of day-to-day -day life. And there's also some belonging in that. There's some nurture in that. I remember visiting one of our seniors uh, in a care home, and the care home was staffed by um, people that were Filipino, who all spoke Tagalog, and when I was reading the scripture, which I always did with this particular member of our church, um, I read a passage uh, out of the gospel, and Jesus was talking, and she commented, I always love to just have people notice what they notice, and she noticed the language that Jesus was speaking in. And that kind of was striking to me. I said, well, what language do you think Jesus was speaking? And she said, English. I thought, okay, wonder why she's thinking that. This person actually knows scripture pretty well. And the more I visited with her, the more it came out that everybody there spoke Tagalog. She was no longer around her tongue. And when she tried to learn some Tagalog, she said that they made fun of her. And so she stopped. We are drawn to people who speak our language, who get who we are. It's a place of belonging and nurture and identity and understanding. So it's interesting in this heavenly vision, with all these nationalities and tribes and cultures and ethnicities and languages and dialects all around the throne in this new heaven and earth. But doesn't it make you wonder, so are we all going to be just singing in our own language like we did with all people that on earth do dwell at the beginning? Are we going to be learning everybody else's language? Or are we just going to be hanging out with our own peeps? And what language will Jesus be speaking? You know, a case could be made that Jesus would be speaking lamb. <laughs> Whatever that sounds like. But you know, if we move into the larger biblical story and look at who Jesus is in John chapter 1, the very beginning of that gospel, it begins with this, in the beginning was the word, God cares deeply about communication and how communication happens. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Here we see God's preferred language, which is incarnation. All the ways that God could have chosen to communicate and everything was available to God, God's preferred language is incarnation to come right to where we are like he did with the women at the well, a woman who was an outcast. She was a Samaritan. She was an outsider. She was a woman. And he went right to where she was, and he spoke her language. I'm not talking Samaritan. I'm talking her heart. So that by the end of that conversation, she ran into the village, and she said, this man gets me. 
He totally gets me. He totally knows who I am. The way Jesus did with Peter, he went right to where Peter was fishing, right to that lake, right to his boat, and there was this enormous catch of fish. That was Peter's language. He spoke Peter's language. He's speaking my language. And it is the movement of the risen Jesus when Jesus is risen from the dead and ascended to God the Father and tells the disciples, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they pray and they pray. And finally the Spirit comes and falls upon them as we read in Acts 2. And what is the first thing that the Spirit causes them to do? First thing, tongues. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. I find that stunning. Of all the things that the risen Jesus would do, the very first and most urgent thing was to move out into the language of every people on earth and found a creative time and way to do that. That is stunning. God's desire is to speak our language in our culture, meeting us where we are, our identity, our interests, our shelter, safety, belonging, nurture. Incarnation is God's preferred way of speaking. And we're drawn toward this one who speaks our language. We're drawn to an intimacy with him that helps us become like him. Heard an interview this last uh, couple of weeks, I don't know exactly when, but it was an interview with two women from a town, a very uh, small desert town in Texas called Marfa. Uh, one woman, her name was Maggie Marquez, 73 years old. The other woman, Jesse Silva, 69 years old. They were remembering the day that their elementary school banned students from speaking Spanish. And they did it in a ceremony that they called the burial of Mr. Spanish. Maggie said this, I walked into the room, this was in the 50s, I walked into the room and the teacher, she said for us to get a piece of paper and write down, I will not speak Spanish in school. So I wrote down on a piece of paper, she was only six years old, I folded it up, I gave it to her, all the teachers, they had a little cigar box and they put the kids' little papers in there and we all marched out to where the flagpole was. Jesse, the whole school was there and a hole had been dug. The box went in the hole and was covered up with dirt. We had gone to family funerals before so we understood that there was a funeral going on but we didn't know why and everybody was very quiet when they buried Mr. Spanish. That school closed in 1965. Much of the campus was demolished. But in 2007, the alumni from that school came together, including Maggie and Jesse, and they held a symbolic ceremony to unearth Mr. Spanish. You know, it's understandable why we would want everyone to speak our language. I felt that way in Guatemala. My habla inglés question became urgent and actually angry at times. Isn't that interesting? I'm in Guatemala. I felt the same way sometimes in Spain, sometimes in Croatia, but every time the dominant culture does that, 
tries to make one language and to bury the rest, we regret it. Saw that happen or heard about it in Europe with Gaelic in Ireland, with Basque in Spain, trying to bury it, suppress it, and now it's printed in those countries. Jesus could have made one language, right? He could have made it so that in the heavenly vision we all speak Klingon, right? He didn't do that. All these languages, all of them are unearthed. Every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, it matters to Jesus. And we're drawn to that preferred mode of communication, incarnation that meets us and speaks to us right where we are. And you think of the Reformation, Presbyterians are products of the Reformation, this being the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther, and correcting the corruption and the errors of the church. And out of that Reformation, when Martin Luther was imprisoned, you know what he did? He translated the Bible into German, the language of the people, so that finally the people could actually hear God's word, God's message of love, God's gospel in their own tongue. One of the great fruits of the movement of God's spirit. We're drawn to the one who speaks our language, drawn to an intimacy that helps us become like him, this shepherd. This shepherd described in John 10 out of Jesus' own lips when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd, but not just one language. All nations, tribes, peoples, languages. He knows our dialect, speaks to us in our language, and we move toward him wholeheartedly because we know he gets me. He gets me. He knows me. He loves me. God meets me right where I am. And out of that intimacy, the Spirit moves us out with God's love to others in their context. These do feel like apocalyptic times, frightening times. There's major shifts and upheaval going on around the world, especially with massive numbers of refugees and migrants moving out of their countries, displaced into other countries, and these countries are overwhelmed. Their cultures are overwhelmed, their languages, their practices are overwhelmed. And a lot of these countries have a lower birth rate. So they have this sense that they're losing their identity they're losing their culture. They're losing their place of belonging and nurture. And so around the world, there is this growing fear and growing resentment to have all this crush and influx of things that feel threatening to who we are. And I think this apocalyptic literature speaks to that fear, unveiling an amazing piece of God's heart for all the different folds matter to God and the Good Shepherd. It is his preferred language to meet us where we are and to treasure our ethnos, the Greek word for people, nation, treasures 
our tribe, our language, our culture. We're drawn to this intimacy offered to us, a spirit-endowed intimacy that moves us out to love just like that. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, one language, only if it's incarnation. Everybody around the throne singing as loud as I can. He gets me. He gets me. He's speaking my language. Let's pray. Oh God, we are amazed at the way you love, at the way you move, the way you move toward us, each one of us. You know us inside and out. You knew us when we were being knit together in our mother's womb. And you speak to us right where we are right now. May we know and be drawn to the intimacy that is you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Be drawn to you wholeheartedly to be transformed in you and by you wholeheartedly to not be afraid, to know that you hold it all together when we are frightened and threatened. You hold it all together in great joy, in great freedom, in great unity. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.